Hello and welcome to the Good Robot Andy's Season 7, Episode 10. My name is Andy Balaam and this is... Andy Cockerell. Very glad to be back. And the, yes, the we thing, haven't been here for a while, no, yeah, we've, we? there's been There's been delays. Yeah. Uh, the thing that we're going to talk about tonight is... Well, we're going to talk about a director tonight. Which director is that? Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, Famous for... Give us like three films and then we'll do the... Okay. So he hasn't made that many movies, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or at least not that many movies in in the English language. He's French-Canadian. But three movies that I should think listener has seen would be Blade Runner 2049, Mm -hmm. Arrival, Mm -hmm. and Sicario. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good record. Those are three in a row. Three three years in a row he made those, so he's a busy man. Don't think I've seen Sicario, but I've heard it's really good. It's fantastic, but we'll we'll get into that. We'll get, yeah, we'll you're going to tell us about those films, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to Sicario because mm-hmm. we watched that uh, a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've seen it before, <clears throat> but watching it again, I was just reminded about how incredibly good it is. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. But before you have the pleasure of that, listener, we've got the entertaining uh, pre-banter Yes. Go. Uh, we watched Parasite over the weekend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, that's the one that won loads of awards, and it looks really... The trailer looks really good. Yeah, so unexpectedly won... Um, although it was nominated, it, it, it obviously it was nominated, but it unexpectedly won Best Picture. For It's uh, the first non-English language Best Picture? First, uh-huh. yes, first English... Sorry, first movie not in the English language to win Best Picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it also won Best Screenplay, yes, at the yeah the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, deservedly winning them. Right. Um, I, I wasn't quite prepared for how funny it was going to be, though. Okay. It's very, very funny. Um, it's bitingly satirical. And it, and it is like a microcosm of society and the way that stuff works, and the, or doesn't work, depending okay. on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, also quite bloody in places as well. So there's something for everyone, really. It's funny, it's bloody. <laughs> Humour and blood, those Humor, are the two things. <laughs> social commentary. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Stunning looking, so two very things. very cleverly and carefully designed. Okay, okay. Uh, really good. It looked yeah, fast really moving it. from the trailer. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it races along. And mm. it's one of these movies where you can see what's coming. Mm-hmm. But maybe what transpires isn't at all what you expect is going to transpire. I'll just put it that way. So I okay, would avoid. That sounds spo- like a contradiction. <clears throat> Definitely avoid spoilers. Okay. Okay. But, oh, but something happens. <clears throat> something happens about three quarters of the way in that will just leave you. Well, it left me dumbfounded, really. Well, you know what? We were actually all set up to watch it, and then it wasn't available. It hadn't come out. Oh, uh, okay. That's so it is now available, yeah. yeah. That was on Amazon. Oh, right, okay. So it's now available on disc, so... I presume it's now on that kind of thing as well. Yeah, yeah. So we watched it on disc. That is exciting. Yeah, good movie. Definitely worth a watch. Cool. Um, but we're here uh, in our occasional lockdown rundown of... That's good, isn't it? Lockdown rundown. Lockdown rundown. But the uh, the subtitle of this week's, uh, I struggled with this for at least five minutes, <laughs> what to call this, 
and eventually went with Villeneuve, real enough, real enough, <laughs> real enough. Yeah. It's not that good. <laughs> real enough. Uh, I also th- I also came up with many Denny uh, before we came on to record this, but I don't right. think either of those are all that good. But no. it is what it is. <laughs> um, it might so be let's have a uh, to remember who we're talking about for the next yeah, thirty minutes. Yeah, maybe. So, um, so he is a French Canadian uh, film director, writer, and producer. Mm-hmm. And he's the four-time recipient of the Canadian Screen Award. Now, sometimes for, you include films on on this podcast because you think they people haven't seen them when they should have. Is he a yes. director that people haven't seen and they should have? Um, I th- well, I think these days less so. Mm-hmm. Um, I I but I do think his movies, uh, although they're driven by genre, he's de- very much a genre movie director. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think they get seen that widely. Okay. Uh, so, you know, something like Blade Runner 2049, although we love it, I don't think it did the numbers, it didn't do huge numbers. Surprising, because it had such a big yeah. name. Absolutely. Blade yeah, Runner, I mean, specifically. I'm just going to have a look at the box office for that. Yeah, so it had a budget of 150 to 185 million, which is quite high. Yeah. But it took 260, so not actually... Right. That great, really. Um, My memory of that is still tinged with sadness because I accidentally booked a 3D viewing of it at the... um, What's the big cinema in Waterloo? The IMAX. The IMAX. I I booked the IMAX as a special treat. Like I've only been there once before and I accidentally booked a 3D viewing. Oh, that that is a shame. Which, I, I mean, I managed to just about... You know, I got used to it and it was fine, but yeah, it wasn't the. Experience. I saw an Avatar there in 3D. It right, was right, right. incredible. Right. Yeah, but I can imagine that if you if you went to see something that wasn't shot in 3D, and it's been blown up to IMAX, your experience might be. Was it not shot in 3D? Uh, no, no, it wasn't shot in 3D, nor was it shot in IMAX. Right, so. right. Well, it was. I mean. It didn't ruin it, but it just from time to time distracted. And right. I didn't want yeah. anything to distract from it because I really enjoyed it. Let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about Denis Villeneuve. So he um, uh, awarded for Best Direction. Uh, so of his um, French-Canadian movies, mm-hmm. we've got Maelstrom, uh, Polytechnique, and Incendies. And, and I haven't seen any of those, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. So the first one I saw of his was in 2013, and that was a movie called Prisoners. Okay. Um, that maybe I saw posters? No, I, feel, I think I saw a series called something like that. The Prisoner, maybe? Not The Prisoner. Oh, let's talk about The Prisoner. Let's not talk about The Prisoner now. We should save that for another pod. Maybe we should do an episode. We could, yeah, definitely. Let's do an episode all about the prisoner because you love the prisoner. I'd have to rewatch it all. Well, that's not a chore, is it? I've got. Well, some there's really, quite a lot of it. I've got some really dodgy um, video cassettes in the loft of it, but nothing oh, really? to play them on. No VCR. Yeah, it's only seventeen episodes, I think. Yeah, was it one series or two? Um, two, and was it, it went was pretty it weird towards the end. Yeah. 
Anyway, you said don't talk about it. Now we're talking about it. No, no, let's not. No, no, because we could go down a rabbit hole there. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so it wasn't until Prisoners, which was his his fifth movie, mm-hmm. uh, that's when the first one that I saw, and you know, I heard a lot about him, uh, about his directing style and the way that he did stuff, and I was really intrigued. And you know, Prisoners is a is a terrific movie. It's it's quite bleak. Mm-hmm. In fact, this bleakness is something that will come back over his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're not as bleak as our as our um, benchmark of bleak, <laughs> which is uh, Requiem for a Dream. I mean, yeah, very, few films, very few films. Very few films. Now, okay, so I don't actually find the road to be all that bleak. It's really bleak. It does, it does have some hope at the end. Yeah, but I don't. I never. I didn't believe that. So it's... Okay. Um, yeah. So if we're doing a scale of bleakness. And Requiem for a Dream is at one end. Yes. What's at the other end? Mary and, Poppins. And what's in the middle? Mary Poppins is a, is is at the other end. Really? Definitely. Mary yeah. Um, what's in the middle? The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. You have to have an awful lot of Shawshank before you get to the redemption. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He probably did it. Who said that? Someone on the internet me. say that. Me. Was it you? Yeah, no, we discussed it last time and I said he probably did it. Yeah. Uh, no, I was reading that in Total Film. There was a page all about, did he do it? And, probably. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> the Shawshank Ooh. getting off from murder. Yeah, basically. I mean, everybody in there's done something. And uh, he's not alone, basically. Um, <clears throat> so... Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, brief brief synopsis of this one is that in Pennsylvania... Um, oh, sorry, let's go through the cast, actually. So, yeah, directed by Villeneuve, mm-hmm. uh, starring Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal, okay. Viola Davis, Maria Bello, Terence Howard, Melissa Leo, and Paul Dano. Really strong cast. Right, must have been... Uh, must, people um, must have heard of him. Yeah, uh, music by Johan Johan Johansson, who very sadly a couple of years ago passed away, quite young. Mm. So he's a Icelandic, I believe he was Icelandic. Johan Johansson. Just going to check. Really, another really great composer. Mm. Um, yeah, just going to check. Uh, yeah, Icelandic. Um, so he would score. He also scored. Sicario as well. Okay, okay. Cinematography by Roger Deakins. Okay, you, know, you like him, be, don't you? I do. Yeah, I really do. Um, distributed by Warner Brothers, and uh, had a budget of forty-six million to one hundred twenty-two point one. So yeah, it did all right. Mm-hmm. And the the plot is that um, in Pennsylvania, a family. Uh, are celebrating Thanksgiving. The children, the four children, go for a walk and noticed a parked RV. So, in in British parlance, that's a motorhome. Mm-hmm. And after dinner, the daughters Anna and Joy go missing. Um, and Detective Loki, who is played by Jake Gyllenhaal, responds, locates the RV, and arrests the driver, Alex Jones. 
who is turns out by. they've gone on a lovely road trip and everything's fine. Um, but during interrogation, Loki realizes Alex Alex's diminished IQ prevents him from planning a kidnapping, and his RV contains no forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. He then runs down leads on local criminals and finds Father Patrick Dunn, a priest with a corpse in his basement. Uh, Dunn admits to killing the man after he confessed to murdering 16 children for his war on God. (laughs) So this is quite a bleak movie. Um, But Loki releases Alex to his Aunt Holly, convinced of his guilt. Um, He is assaulted outside the police station, and Alex tells Dover that they didn't cry until I left them. And Dover confronts Loki with the new information, but Loki cannot verify if it's true or not. Um, so Dover kidnaps Alex and imprisons him in an abandoned apartment building to torture him for information. So this is the prisoner's part of it. So it's so, sorry. So he's kidnapped the the person with low yeah, intelligence. Yeah, exactly. So okay, okay. this is a, you know this is all about um, you know it's 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 a pretty bleak movie about mm. somebody trying to exact what they think is some kind of justice and revenge. But it may not even be this person that did it because, mm. you know, he's not all there. Mm. Um, it is, yeah, it's pretty bleak. Have you seen Calvary? Yeah, I loved Calvary. Oh, boy, that's difficult. But difficult, yeah. That should be at the end of some other scale. What's that on the scale of? Well, it's also a bleak movie. I mean, that that's on yeah, a bleak scale. Got- that's probably, a, if it's a scale of one to ten, I think Calvary's about number eight, probably. <laughs> But it's it's a long way along the angst scale. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's quite angsty. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh well, sorry, it was the war on God that reminded me of that. Um, but I think the um, a, it is amazing, listener. But be warned, it's yeah, not you need to easy. be in a strong state of mind. So, I think let's have an angst scale. So at number ten would be mother, mother. No, that's a different kind of. I don't mean that. That's that makes you anxious at the time. Oh, afterwards you mean? But Calvary is like. <clears throat> Makes you anxious about. Hmm. No, it gives you. It's like it expresses existential angst. Yeah, it definitely does that. Yeah. So the, the um, if listener doesn't know the plot of Calvary is that a priest played played by the brilliant Brendan Gleeson. Oh well, I saw that getting dredged out from the bottom of your brain. That was really yep. good. Well done. Yeah, I was about I was about to say Donal Gleeson, but I thought no, no. <laughs> It's Brendan Gleeson, uh, played by the brilliant Brendan Gleeson, receives a telephone call, that, and the telephone call says, I'm going to kill you, Father, tomorrow. That's it. Uh, so he he kind of thinks, well, maybe I've got like 24 hours to live. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, like rising levels of anxiety and uh, stuff with that movie, really. But I did enjoy it. I thought it was great. Yeah, and it's it's at least partly about how awful God is. So yes. it's, it's pretty amazing. It's really it's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so prisoners, <clears throat> it's bleak, it's dark, it's got a great cast. It's really well made, beautiful looking, but it's a tough watch. Mm-hmm. It's a tough watch, definitely. Uh, maybe right now wouldn't be the kind of thing that you'd want to get involved in. Okay. Uh, but it is good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, prisoners. So I'm going to move on to the next one, which is a movie called Enemy, which actually came out in the same year. 
So it also came out in 2013. He is productive. He is a busy, busy man, yeah. Um, so this was a much smaller production. Uh, so shot in Canada uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal again in the cast. Now, Jake Gyllenhaal was in the one... Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's in our back catalogue, listener. Yes, it is. Indeed it is, yeah. Please seek it out, because I really enjoyed Nightcrawler. Um, So, Enemy is a 2013 Canadian-Spanish psychological thriller, um, loosely adapted from Jose Saramago, or Saramago, Saramago, 2002 novel, The Double. And the film stars Jake Gyllenhaal in a dual role as two men who are physically identical but different in personality. So they are not brothers, you know, but they are identical. Okay. Also stars Melanie Laurent, Sarah Gaddon and Isabella Rossellini. Uh, I've seen this. I enjoyed it a great deal, but it is a strange movie. (laughs) So he... Um, so Adam Bell, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is a college history professor. He lives a quiet, monotonous life. Um, and he rents a movie called Where There's a Will, There's a Way. (laughs) And spots an actor in the movie who looks exactly like him, briefly in a cameo. Would you even notice if someone looks exactly like you? Yeah, I think I probably would, because I'm incredibly vain. You don't look at yourself that often. I do all the time, because I'm incredibly vain. When you look in the mirror, you're not really looking for recognition. You're just, like, you know, checking what some bit of your face looks like or something. Yeah, I'm checking which bits of my body have fallen off today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Basically. I'm not not convinced I'd recognise myself. (laughs) Um, So, searching online, he identifies the actor as Anthony Clare. Mm-hmm. whose stage name is Daniel St. Clair. Um, he rents a couple of other films in which this actor has appeared and becomes obsessed with him <laughs> he, because he thinks he appears to be a physical twin. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately afterwards, he searches some boxes in his own house and finds a photo of someone who looks like him with a woman's hand over his shoulder. However, part of the photo is torn out, making the woman impossible to identify. So how what, how does he not know it's just a photo of him? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but he starts stalking this actor. He visits the talent agency where he's mistaken for him. Mm-hmm. And he's given a confidential letter. <laughs> so he's then able to discover his apartment. Um, and uh, all kinds of strange things happen after that. <laughs> so they, So he kind of adopts this actor's life right so, so this quiet not uh, quiet somewhat socially awkward and quite strange university professor uh kind of co-opts this man's life being john malkovich yeah kind of yeah yeah that's a great film yeah it is um very strange movie mm-hmm. yeah very strange movie but but again very interesting so Screenplay by Javier Goulon. Um, so, music by Sonda Jurian and Daniel Bensi. Cinematography by Nicolas Bolduc. Uh, 
So different team on this one, a much smaller production. So a, a box office of 3.4 million doesn't say what the budget was. It had a very small release, I think. Right. Uh, Sounds all right. But it it's good. Yeah. Um, there's also, in the movie, there's a, a strange spider creature that stalks the city, which I think is Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's based on... I don't know if you remember, there was a spider a spider sculpture that still exists that was at the National, not not at Tate Modern for quite oh, yeah. a long time. Uh, that's been around the world at different galleries. Um, so it's loosely based on that. Okay, okay. Which yeah, is pretty cool. Because that. that's a cool sculpture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Enemy, which is uh, worth seeking out, even though it is strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, two years later, in 2015... We've got Sicario, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I watched a couple of weeks ago. So I want to go into a little bit more detail about, detail about that mm-hmm. because it is, uh, again, an extremely bleak movie. Right, okay. Um, all about the war on drugs. Yes, that's what I thought it was. and It, it, yeah, it sounded yeah. a bit... If that's the one they advertised, I think, the sequel with trailers yes. and stuff that made it look like a dumb action movie. Yeah, the sequel is more of a dumb action movie. It's still it's, pretty good. It's weird that that would happen, yeah. isn't it? Because I'm presuming from the other films of his that I've seen and the ones you talked about, mm. that Sicario is relatively thoughtful. And it's extremely thoughtful, and it and it does lift the lid on mm. what the what the United States has been up to in terms of um, the war on drugs, so-called war on drugs. I I really like traffic. Yeah, I do as well. Yeah. Did you know that Harrison Ford was originally up for the role that Michael Douglas plays in that movie? I did not. Hmm. I I heard about this recently. So he was in in the running for quite a long time and eventually dropped out. Hmm. But uh, I think he would have been pretty effective in that role. I thought Michael Uh, Douglas was good. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, but I could see Harrison Ford playing that nicely as well. Hmm. Um. So Sicario came out in 2015. It's Spanish for Hitman, Sicario. Mm-hmm. By the way, listener, Traffic is also about the war on drugs. In case, it is. In case that yes, wasn't. It, it is, yeah. Um, uh, written by Taylor Sheridan and starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin and Victor Garber. And the film follows a principled FBI agent, who's played by Emily Blunt, who is enlisted by a government task force, and it has to be said an unnamed government task force, mm-hmm. to bring down the leader of a powerful and brutal Mexican drug cartel, mm-hmm. who, have, who seem to have quite a hefty operation in Arizona. Um, it was selected to compete for the Palm Door at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival, and it began a limited release in 2015, uh, in autumn of 2015. It received praise for its screenplay, direction, musical score, cinematography, and Blunt and Del Toro's performances. <coughs> so, it was, did it remain yeah. on a limited release? Or? Uh, no, it had a, it had a nationwide okay. release. Okay. Yeah, it had a, it had a good release. Yeah. So the film was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, and Best Sound Editing at the 88th Academy Awards. And yeah, it also I feel like I should earned, have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that you think, wow, I haven't seen that. 
why haven't I seen that? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking right now. Well, there you go. Yeah. It also earned BAFTA nomination for Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Music. Its sequel, Sicario, colon, Day of the Soldado, was released on June the 29th, 2018. So, like, three years later, which is mm-hmm. you know, probably too long. Um, although Villeneuve wasn't involved in that, I don't think. Sicario 2, colon. Day of the Soldado. Dumber. <laughs> no, he wasn't More guns involved in it. and running around. Yeah. Uh, although, actually, the sequel was written by the same writer. Okay. Yeah. Which is of interest. Um, mm. Yeah, so I haven't Sicario, seen it. Maybe it's really good. It is about the war on drugs. It's about so the um, Emily Blunt plays an FBI agent. She is principled and you know trying her best to do a good job. And uh, at the beginning of the film, we see her and her team. Um, they discover a house in Arizona that's full of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely packed with with people who've been executed. Mm. Um, and then two of her team set off a booby-trapped device that mm-hmm. blows up quite a few of them and she's taken off active duty for a while but then she gets called up for this task force um, and what she's told is that uh, they are going to um, make a show they're going to kind of mm. uh, make someone pay for this Mm-hmm. in a very ostentatious way so that everybody takes notice. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know who she's working with. She's never told who these people are. So this is Josh Brolin okay, and Del Toro, Benicio Del Toro, who is not American, um, who doesn't speak much, but has a real kind of threatening demeanour about him, which I think he does very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, So although she's told that they are going to Texas... They actually head into Mexico, mm-hmm. and they head into Mexico to to basically get someone out, someone who's quite high up in the um, in this drug cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she's there, she witnesses stuff that is, you know, quite dodgy. Mm-hmm. Um, they get this person out. They bring him to the United States, where. And and before they go into to well, interview him, basically um, perform what the Americans call enhanced interrogation on him, mm-hmm. another man approaches Del Toro and tells him about a tunnel in uh, that goes from Mexico to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Del Toro thanks him for the information. He then goes in and performs his um, enhanced interrogation on this prisoner. Then the next day, uh, both him and Josh Brolin tell Emily Blunt that the prisoner told them about the tunnel, but okay. actually he didn't tell them anything. And they knew he wasn't going to tell them anything. It's all a big show. It's why? all a big... Why? why? Because they want, to, they, want, they want the Mexicans, they, they want the cartel to know that they're onto them okay. and that they can go into Mexico and just take right. people... Mm-hmm. Without being stopped, basically, okay. you know, they've got more power than they have. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's all about. Um, so um, uh, they they investigate money laundering that's happening in America, 
and shut it down. Mm-hmm. But she gets too close to it. She uh, she says, I'm going in the bank and I'm going, I'm going to go and see the bank manager. And although Josh Brolin says repeatedly, don't go in the bank, <laughs> she goes in the bank. And then the next day she goes to a bar and she gets approached by this quite charming local police officer who turns out to be working for the drug cartel. So, and he only knows that because she went in the bank and then they could ID mm-hmm. her, basically. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, okay. Um, so the movie is shot, yeah, shot by Roger Deakins again. Mm. Um, it's absolutely stunning looking. So it mixes, um, it mixes drone footage, quite high level drone footage okay. of the landscape with uh at night uh different types of night footage so you've got like green and then red and uh mm-hmm. you're right in the thick of the action and then you're watching it from above mm-hmm. and then and there's a scene when they go into mexico I just, actually i forgot to talk about this so they, they go into mexico to get this person and as they're driving in the camera follows them going in and the road into mexico is almost empty but the road out is jam-packed going mm-hmm. to the American border. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is showing you is that their route out of Mexico is not going to be as straightforward as it was going in. Mm-hmm. And what, what what you end up with is they are then stuck in traffic and the team get out of their car, out of these cars, and uh, they're then walking down, down the, um, the traffic trying to identify people who might be trying to kill them. <laughs> and it's pretty intense mm-hmm. because they come across these four guys in a car who look like, you know, like low-level Mexican gangsters. Mm-hmm. And they can see them reaching for their guns and they're like, don't do it. Don't reach for those guns. And they do and then they, they get killed and then they, they kill another bunch of people in a car. So very intense scene. And then the movie ends with... Um. Oh, she finally finds out why she's on the team. Okay. Be- because she badgers Josh Brolin. She keeps at him. She keeps at him and keeps at him. And she says, look, I haven't actually done anything on this thing. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. And he says, because I'm CIA and I'm not allowed to operate on US territory unless there's another law enforcement person with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's you. So the only reason she's there is because she's a member of the FBI. They don't actually need her for anything. So when he drops that bombshell on her, she she realised that she's been duped. She's been had basically. Mm. Um, and she um, she follows. Uh, they're going through these tunnels that they were told about into Mexico, and she follows Del Toro into a tunnel and out the other side. And when she finds him, he is he he is uh, threatening a Mexican police officer with a gun, and she puts her gun on him, mm-hmm. and he shoots her in the chest. Mm-hmm. Although she's she's got a vest on, and he walks up to her and he says, um, "You'll be fine, but don't ever point a gun at me again." <laughs> and then he gets a, in a car with this um, this Mexican policeman and drives away. So she's then stuck there. Well, she do, she makes it back, and then we see why he's there. He's he's actually a Colombian hitman, 
and he's there to execute the uh, Mexican drug lord and his family, uh, which we see. We see some most of it's off camera, but we see um, him infiltrate the compound with the help of the uh, FBI, of the CIA rather, and then he arrives and this Mexican drug lord is eating dinner with his family and he sits down and the drug lord is quite calm because he thinks he can probably talk his way out of this or maybe just pay him off. Mm -hmm. And then something happens where he realises that actually he can't talk his way out of it and he can't pay him off. And it's it's pretty bleak. <laughs> and uh, when when we get back to the United States... Then we understand the reason for this operation, and it's uh, is that the CIA are unhappy that the cartel have taken control of the drug running mm -hmm. because the CIA won't want to have control over it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to stop it; they just want to control it, uh, which is also pretty bleak. Um, so the whole the whole facade of the war on drugs isn't really a war on drugs. It's just a way to control the supply chain. Um, because they know they can't stop it. It's just not possible. So they have to try and control it and bring it on side. Amazing film. Mm. It's tense and really well made. Um, again, soundtrack by Johan Johansson and the... The soundtrack is all kind of industrial sound and stuff right. to make you feel uneasy. And hmm. um, the, uh, the trailers yeah. that I saw, I, I don't remember seeing them, but I mean, I don't remember the specifics of them, but I remember this feeling I got from it, which is just that it was very exciting and tense. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. There, there's a scene when, when Emily Blunt gets attacked by this local cop. Um, and... She's, you know, he's trying to strangle her and then he looks up and Del Toro is standing over him with a gun. And Del Toro just makes this, this kind of dismissive sound to him. And he just sort of holds his hands up and, and is like, okay, <laughs> I can see that you're an extremely scary, dangerous man and I'm just mm. going to stop what I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. Sicario is really good. Um, cool. yeah so next so that from, Sicario you said was the first of three in three years yes so the next one is Arrival mm -hmm. from 2016 which I think you've seen have yes. you seen Arrival that's yes, also that was, that's, that's also pods yeah that's also from previous pods as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. We, we probably don't need to go into too much detail about this one but um, music again by Johan Johansson uh, cinematography by Bradford Young, who I'm, I'm not familiar with Bradford Young, but let's see what else he's done. Um, so it's a sci-fi with um, time, some time thrown in. Yes. So he shot, uh, he shot Selma for Ava DuVernay, which is a very striking-looking movie, and I do like a striking-looking movie. I almost feel like we've done Selma, have we not? No, we haven't. No. Okay. But it's good, Selma. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, so yeah, Arrival 2016, American science fiction film directed by Denis Villeneuve, written by Eric Hesserer, 
based on the 1998 short story, Story of Your Life by Ted Chang. Uh, We did talk about this on a previous pod, but yes, it does have some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff going on in it that, on on repeated viewings, is very satisfying. Um, (laughs) I suppose much like when you watch something like The Sixth Sense, if you haven't had it spoiled for you, Mm -hmm. um, that you start to see the tells and you start to see the things that give it away. And um, I think Arrival is is a film that's very much in that style. Uh, I loved Arrival. I mean, it's... I think it's almost a perfect movie in terms of the way it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. In terms... Well, just in terms of the execution of it, it's... It has a perfect story arc. The aliens are very alien. Very, very alien-looking aliens, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but very a very human story. Yeah. With people like- desperately trying to stop something horrible happening. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the aliens are very unknowable as well as looking weird. They, they- Yeah, you don't... Although yeah. they manage to communicate with them, yeah, the communication well. is quite difficult... Because <clears throat> there's a feeling that they're actually so different that we couldn't really communicate well with them. Yeah, although they do manage to to they communicate, do communicate but yeah, yeah. It's like they don't necessarily um, understand each other really. No, uh, particularly when the aliens talk about giving the humanity something, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and of course all the military think that is a weapon, when in fact it's not a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the uh, the ability to see time as a dimension. Um, much like uh, in Interstellar, a film you disliked, um, which I also watched fairly recently and really enjoyed again. But anyway, it's just the person um, in the books. Yeah, that is basically what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Arrival's terrific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is terrific. Um. I don't really have a lot to say about that, actually, but let's move on to the next one, mm-hmm. which we haven't done on this. We haven't done on this pod in its entirety. Yeah, but we have talked about it. Yes, and didn't wasn't that what, what we talked to Kathy about? Yes, and this is Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which um, came out in twenty seventeen. So yeah, he did three in a row. I don't know how he managed it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um. So, 2017 Americans, another science fiction movie, written by Hampton Fancher and Michael Green, who wrote the screenplay for the original Blade Runner, and a sequel to the 1982 film Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and stars very... Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Anna de, Anna de Armas, Sylvia Hoeks, Robin Wright, Mackenzie Davis, who I'd forgotten was in this, actually, Mackenzie Davis, Carla Jury, Lenny James. Lenny James from... Um, Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah. yeah love uh, him. Dave Bautista and Jared Leto. Leto. And it's not afraid to take its time over what oh, it's, it's doing. It's very slow moving. It uh it's finally it's the film that finally won Roger Deakins his uh, best cinematographer and boy does mm-hmm. it show. <laughs> I think it's just stunning, stunning looking. Um I mean the scene the scene where Agent K 
walks uh, through the orange mist and there's those statues. Yeah. Was all done in camera. Can you believe that? No, I can't. Oh, that's Everything. So, such an amazing scene. Isn't you know it just what? amazing? My only disappointment with that film was before I watched it, I'd seen a bit of that and I'd seen a bit where a huge um, 3D projection speaks to him. Right, yeah. And I thought there were going to be massive robots in the oh. film. I was oh, like, okay. I got to the end, I was like, where are my massive robots? <laughs> but, yeah, that, that scene is amazing. So I was reminded recently, I think it was um, listening to Total Film Podcast, and they talked about Blade Runner 2049. Um, specifically about the Agent K, or about the character of K, played by Ryan Gosling. Who is terrific in this, Ryan Gosling. He's really mm-hmm. great. So the movie gives you and him the impression that he is special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he discovers that he's not special. Mm. But somebody tells him that even though you're not special, you can still be part of something mm-hmm. that is happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the protection of replicants um, who... Uh, you know who who have the ability to reproduce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know that that's what you can be part of, and then he kind of takes that on board. Um. Yeah, I think I, I've seen this a couple of times since going to see it at the cinema, and I think it's still just incredibly, incredibly good. Mm. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. I I did feel like the baddie. Slightly yeah. spoiled it for me. Yep. And the violence against women bit with the baddie. Mm-hmm. It sits really uncomfortably with me. Yeah, I know. And we did discuss that at great length when it came but out. But other than that, other I could have just you could have just lost all those scenes. And it would still be a great movie. And then it would have been better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think it's still a great I think it's still oh, yeah. it's great. Um, in terms of sequels to iconic movies, I think it's up there with stuff like Aliens, James Cameron's Aliens. Uh, in a sense that it's not a disappointment, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah there are very and it also, few. It also takes the story in a different direction as well. Yeah, so, but without leaving yeah. the old story behind. Yeah, so it, it is very yeah. much in the spirit of the original movie, but it's very much its own film. You can tell a good sequel because it makes the original better. Yeah, I think it does. I think it makes the, the original movie richer. And um, uh, so does Back to the Future 2. Mm, <laughs> totally ha- does. I would have been happy with just Back to the Future, to be honest, which I think is an amazing film. I love I love Back to the Future 2, partly because because you see the original the bits of the original film in the... Yeah, that's sequel, cool, isn't it? And yeah. That, that's what I mean. But that makes me... That makes it better, makes the original better. Obviously, Terminator 2 makes Terminator a better film. Yeah. Well, Terminator 2 makes all films better. <laughs> and Aliens, I guess they're just independent, but it's just very, very good. Yeah, it is very good. Yeah, definitely. Good. So, yeah, Blade Runner 2049. That brings listener, us up to date, actually. Get, listener, get in touch with um, uh, sequels that made the original better. Mm, yes, please do. Yeah, definitely. 
Oh, so he he had a rest after Blade Runner twenty four. Uh, yeah. So he's been working on since then. He's been working on Dune, which is his next movie. That that's supposed to be coming out this year. So I think this they're having another this go at winter. Dune. Yes, they are. But his style seems right for. I think it's. Level. I mean, I've seen the. There's some production stills online now, mm-hmm. and it looks incredible. Which it should be, really. With an amazing cast. Um, so let me do a run, uh, a rundown of the uh, of the cast. So we've got Timothy Chalamet, Tim, sorry, Timothée Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin again, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista again, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, David Dashmalian. Jang Chen Charlotte Rampling Jason Mamoa and Javier Bardem that's an incredible cast I've heard of some of them music by Hans Zimmer which is a good choice I think but no Roger Deakins this time so Greg Frazier is the shot this he also shot uh, Zero Dark Thirty for Catherine Bigelow and Foxcatcher, which we talked about. Oh, mm. he shot Rogue One. Right. Uh, yeah, Foxcatcher so, is um, the wrestling one. So you, yes. you can find that in our back catalogue. You can. Um, Even if you shot, don't like wrestling, apparently. Although shot you let could just me listen in. to the podcast and not have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shot Let Me In for Matt Reeves, which was a remake of Let the Right One In. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. So he's a decent cinematographer. Is that good? Let me in. It's okay. It's not as, not good, as good as, as okay. let the right one in, but it's okay. okay. Yeah, okay. I think Matt Reeves does the very best he can. Okay. But I think it's I think it's difficult to do a better movie than let the right one in. Frankly. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. It's already done. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's already been done really well. Um. So yeah, Dune is is up next. That that will be out this December. Right, right, right. December twenty twenty. Uh, yes, it must be in post production now. I think, and that looks pretty stunning. So the the, the um, production things they've released on that are are jaw droppingly good, and everybody seems to be cast very nicely for that as well. Mm. Yeah. So uh, is that Denny Villeneuve? That brings us up to date. Yeah, that's Denny Villeneuve. So hasn't made that many films in the English language, but the films he has made are pretty damn good. Is there a common thread running through his work? I think genre is his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of like police procedural. So prisoners is a. I suppose prisoners is a serial killer, revenge police type thing. Enemies are strange body double thing um and Sic- yeah sicario is a drug yeah i don't know no i'm not really sure i mean they're all they're all a little bit bleak and a bit strange mm-hmm, mm-hmm. although arrival is not particularly bleak i think arrival is actually quite uplifting but they're all slightly dreamy thoughtful films which are also mainstream enough to be yeah films yeah, is that yeah fair? i'd say yeah i think that's fair yeah 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 I, mean, I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is is his biggest film to date, but I think mm. Dune's going to be even bigger. Well, I imagine a film like Dune 
it will how many people go and see it will vary massively based on whether anyone thinks it's any good yes and i think that the cast is a big draw there so right, i think the, right, the casting right. of timothee chalamet is a good one as he is he's so hot right now as they say in zoolander so listen um as we record um massive protests are going on all around the world for the the black lives matter they are um uh cause after the killing of george floyd um it's not just that though is it it's it's no triggered it's by. years and years of systematic um abuse and targeting of usually un- unarmed uh, black people in the united states yeah and it's also systematic racism in all parts of our society yeah people have had enough quite frankly so i just wanted to say black lives matter and let's fix the let's black begin let's begin a very long job of starting to fix our society and stop waiting around for it to happen on its own yeah so uh, case in point something that started a great deal of debate on twitter and presumably other social media is that in bristol over the weekend uh, the statue of um, a man called colston was um, removed and thrown into the harbour and he was a slave trader and bristol has um a, a a checkered pass, so it was part of the heavily part of the slave trade, mm, like all of the port yeah, cities. That's right. Um, and his statue's been up there for years and years. There was mm. various was there a campaign to remove it. There was a campaign to remove it, which was turned down for some reason because mm. you know people are idiots. So uh, so people took took um took it upon themselves to remove it and throw it in the harbour. I heard the the mayor of Bristol on the radio this morning. What saying um, the statue was an affront? Talking about it, saying that he he has been trying to get it removed for years, uh, but it's been difficult. I just don't know why it's so difficult, really. I thought I was very impressed with him, actually. Yeah, he sounds like he's got he's got his head screwed on. Um, so you know, it's good news, really. We we don't need statues of slave traders at all. Um, and I think the fact that I think the fact that it's so difficult to get rid of it just shows you that people don't have uh, they don't have other people's feelings at heart. And they've got some kind of well, it's tradition, it's historical. That's why it's there. We must acknowledge it. Yeah, fine, acknowledge it, but don't put a statue up. It's difficult to understand, isn't it? And that, yeah, I mean, I think- it is. If uh, if we're going to start transforming our society, mm. then I think we need to start understanding when people say this this hurts me, even if it's just a symbol. We yeah. need to start listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that happened over the weekend, and Bristol is quite close to where I live. Um, yeah, so Black Lives Matter, folks. Uh, it's a shame, though, that people have to put quite a complicated banner together explaining that, yes, everybody else's lives matters, but at the moment, Black Lives Matter. And that's what this is all about. 
it's drawing attention to it. Did you see the um, the shot of the new street mural in Washington D.C. from space? No. So there's a massive no. new piece of, um, I, I think, city city sponsored street art that says Black Lives Matter on the wow. major street in Washington D.C. I think the one that leads towards the White House. And it's so big. It's so big it space. that one of the astronauts tweeted a picture of it through the clouds from space. That, that's amazing. I don't know whether it's really from from the space station or from a satellite, but anyway. That is pretty amazing, um, isn't it? It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not as exciting as, say, you know, political change. but Well, yeah. Let's have that. So the political change is that um, the city where George Floyd was murdered... Has disband is going to disband its police force, and it's not the first time this and has happened. Work. We'll replace it with something better, okay. hopefully. Um, That's exciting. I mean, they, apparently they've tried to reform it before, but failed. Is it the same as what they did with the News of the World? Well, just change the name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Police force two. It's the same. It's the same scummy newspaper. Now with empathy. Now with no man with less empathy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. I hope that a lot more things happen that yep. will take decades. Of course it will. Yeah. But change is inevitable. Doesn't um, always go in the right direction. Well, I know. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, change is inevitable, but sometimes it's not the change you want. But sometimes you have to force the change that you want. Yeah, it's important. And it's important for people who are in a position of privilege and power to change the way they do things. And, you know, you can include most white people in that, people who are, who have privilege and power. Let's do it, folks. Yeah, why not? Make the world any a better plugging? place. Yeah. Uh, no, no plugging. No. Do you have any plugging? Oh, there's one thing I was going to talk to you about, which was uh, I watched uh, Suburbicon. I've heard have of that. that. What's that? No. It's written by the Cohen brothers, I think with George Clooney and someone else. And oh. I think it's directed by George Clooney. I think that's the way it's Yes. Like. No, I have heard of it. Yeah. It feels quite like a Cohen brothers film. But I would say it's a bit, I don't know, some of the Cohen brothers films are pretty dark yep some it's of them pretty, are it's pretty I would say it's a bit bleaker like the Coen brothers are quite often have that slightly wild eyed craziness about them that lifts the, the spirit a little bit even if the subject matter is very dark yeah so sometimes they can be a little bit um, strange can't they yeah this one's definitely <coughs> a little bit strange and so this is directed weird. by Clooney yes yeah uh, but it definitely feels like a Coen brothers film I would say because hmm. uh, he spent a lot of time with them obviously yes um, uh, it was weird watching it this week because it's it's actually I don't know what to think about it as a kind of sideshow to the main plot, which is about a white little boy and his white family. Mm. There's this side thing going on where a black family have moved into the neighbourhood and are getting utterly tormented and um, rejected by this extremely white neighbourhood, mm. um, and it's. I mean, Clooney is quite political, and it, it's it's clearly 
depict it's cl- it's clearly about showing what a horrible awful place this neighborhood is yeah uh so it's hearts in the right place kind of thing but it's it's weird that it's a sideshow and the main story is about white people still <laughs> that feels yeah. weird in this in the current yeah. context yeah um but it's uh, <clears throat> it's quite shocking in itself and and so it was made in 2017 right but i think it's taken a while to come to be actually be released it's matt damon Yes. A significant role. Yeah. It was a box office bomb. Um, my favourite yeah. character is the insurance uh, claims investigator. Okay. Reminds me a little bit of Columbo. Not Oscar really, Isaac. Oh, it's Oscar Isaac as the insurance claims investigator. Okay. Right, right. Uh, yeah. It's great. It, it was a little bit too hard to watch at a time where... I'm feeling quite emotionally raw with all the stuff in the news. Yep. Yep. Um, so it wasn't a great choice for right now. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah. Not not only because it had the the racism content but also because it was just hard <laughs> hard watch but um yeah, mm. I I'm pretty sure it was uh, good but difficult. And was that to on watch. was that on Amazon or something or It's on iPlayer at the moment, BBC iPlayer. Oh. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. So people can watch it. Yes. Nice. <clears throat> that was good. Uh, plugging, though. Well, two bits yes. of plugging. One is one, one we're not paid to say, uh, but we've, we're not paid to say either of them. But <laughs> um, uh, previously, we've been recording the podcast and, and in order to be able to see each other, we've used Google Hangouts. I know a lot of people are using Zoom for that kind of thing these days, but we've been doing this a bit longer than Zoom's been on my radar we've always used Google Hangouts for it but tonight we're using um, Jitsi J-I-T-S-I you can find that at jitsi.org it's completely free it's open source which listener by now you probably know I'm into Um, it's got it can have multiple people in a a conference it has the, the gallery mode thing where people are kind of displayed in a grid that people love from Zoom yep uh, so far, it's working really well, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, really good. Solid. So we are sold on Jitsi, jitsi.org. You can run your own one. You can use the one at jitsi.org for free. It doesn't seem to be a limit on the number of people or the length of the call. So it's basically no, better no. than Zoom, and it's properly open source, and it doesn't mess with your privacy and all that stuff. Like Zoom, Zoom started, they're going to make paying customers have privacy and non-paying customers... Not so much. I mean, that just sucks. Don't, why would you, why don't would you sell do me that? my privacy. Sell me something else. I'm happy to pay you for useful software. Yeah. yeah. Although I'd really like it to be open source. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that's what's that the, was one the, bit of... What's the other bit of plugging? The other bit of plugging is, after, I think I've said a number of times on this podcast that I've been working on a secret project. Yes. Well, uh, I finally launched my secret other podcast. It's no longer secret. Mm. It's called Justice Warriors, where warrior is spelt like someone who worries about something. Justice Warriors. And it's me and a couple of people from my church talking about like social justice type stuff. <coughs> um, and in particular, how Christians deal with it, uh, especially like given the, let's say, complicated history of the church and Christianity in terms of not always treating people well or in fact treating people horrifically 
and the role of the church in advancing the patriarchy and all this stuff. You know, it's not. It's not. You can say not, that, but at least <laughs> the Inquisition they gave you notice they were coming. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's it's some, so unlike some, unlike the Monty Python sketch where nobody expects them, <laughs> you absolutely actually, did expect them. Actually, you know. Um, yeah. So it's it's um it's a few. Christians who are well aware of that kind of uh, the difficult things that make it difficult for Christians to even start thinking about stuff like that. Mm. And also, um, at least in my case, people who like, I am a Christian, but I'm like, I vary between like 40 and 90% sure that God's even there. And, you know, so we're like, you know, hopefully we're reasonably tolerable to listen to. <laughs> um, talking about like, how do we respond to the inequality in the world and uh, sexism and society's attitudes towards lots of people uh, who've been on the margins and um, uh, how does being a Christian fit in with that and what do we do about it and stuff mm. I guess I don't know you'll have to listen Justice Warriors um, you should be able to search for Justice Warriors if you spell it like someone who worries about stuff justicewarriors.libsyn.com l-i-b-s-y-n dot com cool uh, and you should find it in all of your favourite podcasting things. It's on YouTube. So it's where on you can find this podcast. Apple Podcasts. Um, Spotify. It's about to be on Spotify. You need to have three episodes out to oh, be dear. allowed to put it in Spotify. Okay. And we're trickling, we've made quite a few, but we're trickling them out every two weeks so as not to run out. Right. Um, so I, the third one is soon to come out. And then I'll put it in Spotify. And I'll, also, I've got to do Stitcher and stuff like that. Um, it's, in a, nice. it's on Apple Podcasts and a few other places. It's obviously, it's got an RSS feed, so you can use AntennaPod, my favourite podcasting app. Or, AntennaPod. Or any other. Do you use AntennaPod, Andy? I use... What do I use? Podcast Addict. Okay, okay, okay. Which I've used for years and I really enjoy. Right. It does the job. But it's not open source. No, it's... Uh, no, it's not. No. So, if that sounds of any interest whatsoever, have a look for Justice Warriors. Nice. Nice. I think that's it. I think that's it. That was the films of Denis Villeneuve and some other stuff. Thanks for putting up with us. Yes, indeed. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Probably. Probably. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely be back, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cheers, bye. Cheers, bye.